New Pope, who this? Welcome to the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's New Pope on the Bald Move Network. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Cecily. And we are here to talk about uh, episode seven mm-hmm. of the New Pope when worlds collide. We got <laughs> the new Pope. We got the young Pope. We got the uh, Popes Anti-pope. on Popes. We've got the Antichrist. My, we, we have... <laughs> Types, anti-types, uh, and and we are here for it. We got our, we got our old intro music back, uh, better and sexier than ever. Uh, this this was a real roller coaster of an episode. I we I, we were vibrating visibly with excitement uh, when we got the intro, and. Uh, the lights all came on and he opens his eyes and smiles and we get this intro and like, oh my God, it's going to be so much fun. And then uh, things get really deep and weird and moving in the way that like religion at its best can do. Um, you know, if you listen to a lot of my different podcasts, you know, I'm not really a uh, religious person. Um, I'm an atheist myself, but uh if I had a religion, it'd be something like the leftovers. It'd be something like the the young pope. It'd be something like the new pope. Let let the mystery be. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the episode? I like this episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's interesting that I took the most notes on this episode, where we have the least amount of moving around going on, mm-hmm. but the most the most is happening. Yes. Um, I. I did notice, you know, I thought from the beginning of the episode or the beginning of the season, I strongly believe that Lenny was going to wake up and it's absolutely true and it's happening for real. And I thought that they, that, uh, John Paul the third and Lenny, the pious, the 13th would have a lot, would just be at odds on a lot of their thinking, but it seems that they're not really at odds. You know, we saw that with John Paul the third, Lenny occurred to him. And like hit his heroin box when he was going to go to sleep one night. Yeah. Um, And it seems like they kind of are working together, but not quite in the ways that they would expect. See, I I thought that from the beginning uh, that it looked like that they were showing that uh, Pius XIII and John Paul III were going to work together. But the tragedy was going to be because... Of the fact that you can't have two popes, and you've got this history of popes and anti-popes, and Christ and antichrist. That the tragedy is going to be that um, they're not going to be able to work together. They're not. We're not going to get what we want as an audience. Is what I'm afraid of. Yeah, I mean, it seems very much like Lenny is not in the mood to fight JP three for the papacy. He says that I just I hope they have a bed for me at least there still because I mean where do you go from here after twelve months in a coma he's he's missed out on a lot yeah what I I did notice says that there are times like the Lenny is watching the terror attack unfold so I feel like that makes him even more driven and invested and he's. You know, when it comes to Eric, he's praying for him to be made a man. But you contrast again that against John Paul III, who is confessing to some of his sins, who is saying he's not a man of steel, becoming a man of steel by admitting weakness, I feel like, while Eric is being taken away. Just like in the last episode when uh, Pius Thirteenth moves his finger... And the woman who Esther choked to death gets back up. Mm-hmm. I feel like him praying for this man to be made a man and then showing John Paul the third 
finding some sort of resolve through what's happened. I feel like if God works in mysterious ways, then he's answering Lenny's prayer in a way that Lenny didn't anticipate. Because Lenny doesn't perform miracles. Sure. Lenny just, creates miracles, but they're not performative. He just intercedes. I, I, I think it's interesting because like, like you at my notes, I usually have two to three pages of my outline. It's uh, I just scrolled through it. Six pages. Uh, there's a lot of uh, digression into like Moses mythology and more. Because <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I think that's, gonna, that's really key to understanding uh, what's going on here. Um, that you've got... And I, I think what you what you say is is right that you've got you know this tale of these two men, um, and there's so many parallels to it. Like Eric, uh, you know, is uh, is is kind of like you know the the Madonna. I'm going to call the, the it's the Doctor and the Madonna throughout the, this this uh, discussion. Uh, you've got the Doctor and Madonna that are in this dead house, very similar to to Sir John's parents. Uh, they're mourning the fact that their son never lived, whereas the uh, Sir John's parents are mourning the fact of uh, the the life that their son didn't get to have as well. Um, but you know they haven't given up, and uh, it's the their moment of I think tragedy here when their son dies. Uh, although there's that's a whole complicated thing too. Uh, seems like it's a turning point and and a a time for them to stop mourning and and start living again. Whereas the moment of their son's death is where the Brannocks stopped living. Um, There's a lot of symbolism that's tied into this. So you're, you might be right that the, uh, the wires in heaven got crossed and um, you know, they're going to make John Paul three, God's going to make John Paul three, a man Um, that's, Stands in contrast to like what uh, Voyello says that you can't make the weak strong. You can tear down the strong, but you can't make the, a weak person strong. Yeah. But we also see many, many things that you could easily describe as miracles happening in this series. So Voyello maybe that'll be another one. Also had a man killed, so yeah, <laughs> can't take him as the ultimate authority. Well, but also, also, I wanted to mention that Lenny is telling the parents, the Doctor and the Madonna, to follow the love. Mm-hmm. which is JP3's thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's telling the parents, I think he's preparing the parents to discover each other and to love each other again before their son dies because if there's this much grief and distress in the relationship and then their son dies, mm-hmm. then that'll only fracture them further. Yeah. Well, plus what uh, Voyello says here about making, you can't make the the weak strong, that's what God does. Like if you're talking about Moses, uh, you know, when, when Moses was there and God appeared to him in the burning bush, Moses just had a flow of excuses. Like I'm tongue tied. I stutter. Uh, I'm not a strong man. I'm a weak man. And God's like, that's the whole point. I don't want people think that you're doing this. I want them to know that I'm doing this. Like, uh, the nation Mm -hmm. of Israel itself, God's chosen people was not chosen because they're numerous and they were a mighty people. They're chosen because of their special relationship of God. And, and so he can, uh, exercise his power through there. And people don't think that, Oh, well, this is this, this mighty military power is store. It's, it's, it's all, it's all credit to God. So, uh, and also, if I'm now, that I'm kind of putting some things together. Uh, what God gave to Moses as a um, as a kind of a, a nod to his weakness is He gave him a strong supporter in the form of his brother Aaron, who's like, you know, it's like God's like, I know your brother can talk, and I know your brother's not shy. So you take him up to Egypt and you know do mm-hmm. this together. And this, so if if you're holding that hope that this 
Pope anti-Pope stuff is going to wash over. Um, maybe Lenny can be the person that puts his, you know, uses his power that he has over the people, uses personal charisma and his strength because he's bulletproof. Lenny mm -hmm. just doesn't give a fuck because uh, Lenny has God on his side. Like maybe that's a way that, that they're they're going to heal um, all the different fractures we see happening in the religion. And there's a lot like not just a metaphorical fracturing over the child abuse scandals and how do you how does this, the Catholic Church um, evolve in an increasingly secular world. But like you see the statue of the Pieta literally fracturing and crumbling like there's there's a there's a there's a physical attack against the church too with this uh this current of terrorism that they're um undergoing so it's all really fascinating stuff <laughs> yeah absolutely shall we get right into it yeah let's talk about the intro first uh lenny comes out of the ocean just like a little tiny bronzed speck with a scrap of white fabric uh across his crotch Comes out of the ocean, uh, and Esther, uh, looking hot as ever in a bikini, she's wearing this enormous crucifix that is his his personal cigarette holder. Uh -huh. And he goes, and, and the, man, Lenny's got this power move where he he occupies a woman's personal space in a very intimate and erotic way, and then kisses them on the forehead. Right, like while maintaining eye contact, he's not looking yeah. at her breast while he reaches for it. So yeah. you know it's not a sexual thing. It's like it's very powerful as you said yeah and then he and then he walks away like like you know cool guys don't look at explosions like he cool guys don't look at explosions because he's <laughs> there's just, a like, lot of them like yeah no you can see as he's walking through and you see uh like the effect he has on this dream or like heavenly version of sophia and like all the different nuns are depicted here in the beach and a lot of people that i'm also i don't recognize but you can just see and as this as we were watching this for the second time I was like, whose gaze is most being catered to? Uh -huh. And I'm saying G-A-Z-E, but, you know, uh, the G-A-Y-S are, are having oh, a field okay. day with this yeah. one, too. Because, like, Jude Law is so beautiful and so perfect. And the camera is on him. And you can see, like, you know, from this profile, like, you can see his his his, his amazing butt switching from side to side. When you go from the front, you can literally see his package bouncing off his thighs from one direction to another. So it seems like your gaze is being catered to specifically. <laughs> I mean, I'm not immune to the man's charms for sure. No. Uh, and um, There's just this power and confidence that just... Uh, is it a quantity over quality? <laughs> you know, it's like you, you, you've got the, the main thing being focused on, which is the perfection of... Uh, Jude Law in middle-aged, bronzed and perfectly coiffed and with this tidy whitey that's glowing. It's 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 it, it's glowing. I like to think that this is his his maybe dream sequence that led up to the moment that he wakes up. This is what he was imagining. But it's also such an interesting it's also such an interesting concept that, you know, this sexuality is very closely connected to your spirituality. Yeah. Like the nun who masturbated next to him, mm -hmm. like she absolutely was never going to touch him, never molest him in any way. But her faith was so close to this, this horniness yeah. that all of these nuns have. And Sophia and Esther, it's just, it's devotion is devotion. Yeah. And I think that you know, you talk about, you think about what Lenny said about heaven and how it's essentially just like earth, except for you glimpse the glory of God. Oh, um, I glimpsed it. <laughs> um, I thought it was, I thought it, it's, it's interesting that, um, 
you know, he wakes, like, if you think that this vision's running through his head and he wakes with this satisfied smile, and I can compare that and contrast to, like, Guterres, who's in anguish. It's like, you know, God satisfies my spirit, and this uh, young, this man satisfies my body. Why do I feel empty? To Lenny, who feels completely comfortable in control, although he's having his issues with God, too. Is it just that, like... Lenny's secret is that he has this effect on people, but he never indulges in it. So it's just like, you know, completely satisfying to him. I I, I don't know. Yeah. It seems like Lenny is aware of his imperfections. Like he's obviously performing miracles, but he, he only believes himself to be in the center of coincidences. Just like JP three, he doesn't believe that God likes him. Yeah. But he is a servant of God, so it's, I feel like it's tied up in that somehow. Well, there's also something Christ-like um, in that um, if you go through the Bible's descriptions, because, you know, a lot of times in G- Jesus, especially in like Renaissance and, and Middle Earth, he's always depicted as a sickly, pale, frail man in anguish on the cross. But the Bible describes him as like he's essentially the masculine ideal. He's a perfect man. Uh, he's very beautiful. Uh, he wears not extravagant clothes, but like very well-fit, um, well-made clothing. Women are constantly throwing themselves, weeping at his feet, uh, anointing his feet, massaging his feet with oil, and then drying them. And, and, washing them with and their own hair? Washing them with their tears and drying them with their hair. And like, it's easy to see this kind of like, and but yet he's completely, Jesus is completely incorruptible and and immune to it all and that kind of power and that charisma and every once in a while you'll see like a a hot jesus depicted uh in in art um but i wonder if they're playing with that too this that the apparent perfection of pope Pius the 13th yet he's completely uh he knows the power that he has but he doesn't ever use it in a base or human way I don't know. It's a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, we're going to go away from Lenny because else this whole podcast would be about him. I want to talk about yeah. the stuff that's going on in the Vatican because there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, we see the refugee boy who has a relationship with the nun and they're expecting a child. Uh, Voyello had, you know, satisfied all of their concerns last episode. And here comes Asente ready to turn over the uh, apple cart. Was it Asente or Cavallo? No, I think Cavallo is the one who says... Uh, I mean, he's the one who confronts Asinte and said, you know, hey, Voyello was going to overlook all this. And Asinte is like, yeah, well, he was, and I'm not going to. And I've said many times that Cavallo is the worst. But I do like how he completely dominates Asinte here. Because Asinte is being a little shit. And sometimes you need a real asshole to take care of a, of a shit. It's like the Team America World Police kind of. Oh, I felt the opposite. I feel like Cavallo is the one that's telling Voyello secrets as a way to keep his power now that Voyello's gone. And oh, he's yeah. using he's also intimidating Asente, who is also a man of porcelain in this moment. And I hate Cavallo. <laughs> oh, I hate him too, but I, I think that Asente is the one that's behind it. I mean, he's the one that's got the smug P.S. look on his face while it's happening, and Cavallo is confronting him, but but we'll see. Um then we see Faisal. He's he's you know no longer has a secure situation. He goes to beg food from a deli guy who looks like he might be sympathetic. And the guy's like, "What? I mean, it's Ramadan. You can't be eating during daylight hours." And he said, "You know what? Come back later." Uh, we also see a scene of uh, John Paul the Third's dog running towards the famous statue of Michelangelo's Pieta. This is a depiction of. 
uh, Mother Mary cradling her dead son Jesus uh, in her arms, and it it as Sorrentino has has done, um, it's a very sanitized depiction of something ultra violent. Like when we saw the the corpses on the side of the river and they were immaculate. Uh, now, like the, the the way he depicts this explosion is just everything dissolves into just blinding white light. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear that this uh, is attack on the Basilica uh, happened. There's no um, casualties. Uh, it's a dynamite attack. There's no injuries, but there's serious damage to the Basilica itself. Uh, and there's ca- just one four-legged casualty. <laughs> yeah, there is true. There's no human casualties. <laughs> yeah. but unfortunately, there's there's some doggo casualties. Uh, and they they found two young men, an Egyptian and a Syrian, taken near the site. Uh, and we see this uh, intercut with a picture of Faisal being locked in a cell, and they say that there's been total silence from the Holy See, which is uh, people are commenting on. Do you think that Faisal had anything to do with the dynamiting? I really don't, because the way that he was kicked out was so nonviolent. I don't, he wasn't even arrested; he was just removed, forcibly removed, and he's he kind of w- violent. Oh. They didn't ask him, and they said, "Please," and you know, they were he was they they were they, they were throwing him out. Yeah, I mean, yes, they removed him from the property, and he wasn't arrested for that, and it just seems like a bad place at the wrong time, because he wouldn't have any reason to, I don't think he has any reason to bomb the Basilica, when he believes that his the mother of his child and his go. child are inside, so if well, she, you know, she could yeah, be in the area, and guess, if it's even yeah. a risk, then you wouldn't do it. I don't think he was angry enough to have done that. I think that and the fact that maybe he has respect for the mother's religion. Um, but also although, we clearly see that these two met by happenstance. So it would be it would be a huge risk for this deli cashier or owner to just meet this stranger and, you know, and put him up to this in one day. Well, people, I mean, yeah, but peop- this, you, this is so a shit that So you believe that, pe- that he is? No, okay. I'm saying there's multiple possibilities for his quote-unquote involvement. There is the fact that... He was just around the area, um, you know, getting the food in the back alley like this guy was telling him to. It could be that he was used as a patsy to where like, hey, uh, I'm going to give you all this food. Hey, could you take this duffel bag and drop it off at this building uh, and don't ask too many questions about it all the way to like, uh, yeah, man, these Christians are terrible. Uh, They treat us terrible. They're in our holy lands invading us. They're crusading. Have you seen all the stuff that uh, our leader has been saying? Like, I. I don't think that's it, but like there are a lo- wide spectrum of him being involved to being completely innocent and a bystander to being complicit unknowingly to very. So I, I just don't know. Yeah, it just felt like a meditation on refugees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was worried about that in the very beginning. Like, oh, what is he going to say about refugees? Um, and bo- mostly it's been positive so far. But like, you know, um, I-, I don't know exactly where he's going. But I, I just want to s- keep all those things in mind because... I don't know where his story goes. Like, uh, one thing would be, uh, I remember John Paul II made huge international news. He famously was a, attempted uh, assassination against him, shot, almost killed him. And he, uh, there is a, the, he, he forgave in person the, the kid, the person that tried to kill him. I wonder if they're going to set up something to where, you know, uh, John Paul III, because it does seem like they're playing with uh, John Paul III means something. It means something in relation to John Paul II. Uh, I'm going to make an argument for why Pius XIII means something in relation to Pius XII. It will be interesting to see if, like, you know, 
they shore up his weaknesses enough that he uniquely can be the person to kind of forgive these acts. And it would be, I don't know, is it more or less poignant if Faisal's innocent? He's being forgiven for something he didn't do? Uh, yeah, if if that's what happens. So, uh, unfortunately, JP3 did find his dog had been di- died in the, the bombing um and this completely destroys him what little strength he had uh sophia then visits foyello in his uh, garden where he's gardening with uh Gier lomo and don mimo and uh uh he says that you know he's cloistered himself he just weeps day and night over his dog and uh she wants his advice i love this scene like him talking about being you know, she's like, you're the most intelligent man in the Vatican, which does that connect to uh, the scary guy with the eye patch saying he's the second most intelligent man in the world? I didn't pick up on that. I was just I wasn't, too, but I was looking at my notes. And I'm like, Ooh, it's interesting that uh, a character asserts being the second most intelligent man. And then the next week, the script asserts that this is the most intelligent man. Well, the guy said, I'm the most in- second most intelligent man in the world. And Sophia qualified with the Vatican. Yeah. Uh, but I I continue to... Although, I did, because I'm thinking, like, okay, who is this kid that's playing Girolamo? Uh, You know, I talked about last week kind of sort of being bothered by the fact that they're using some of these people as props. Uh, and uh, you can't find this actor if he is indeed an actor anywhere like i searched there's only three pages of google results in the whole world if you search for your your lomo and I, I i know i don't pronounce it well but i did check the spelling and new pope young pope he's not credited on imdb um i, I don't know yeah i guess i feel the same way about eric in this episode i don't think eric's a real person i think he literally is a prop like it's, okay it's a it's a fake it's it's not a real person i think it's a it's a it's a a dummy. Okay. We have no. I mean, we just don't have any way yeah, to know I that. I mean, that's true. Because like, okay, if if he wasn't, then how? I, I, I it's it is it's it's odd. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, anyway, Voyello explains that the Pope is poorly advised and that he's a fragile piece of porcelain. And as we mentioned in the intro, you can weaken the strong, but you can't give strength to the fragile. His advice is to ride John Paul III's weakness. And Sophia, of course, asks, what do you mean? We won't find out this week. We won't know. (laughs) Do you have any idea what that means? Ride his weakness. I Yeah, I really don't know. I'm trying to think how that would connect with my idea that he might forgive the bombers or he might forgive the terrorists. Um, But I I don't see how you you do that. Um, But I don't know. Voyella has an idea. We'll see how that goes. Uh, We also have a flashback uh, to uh, Sir John not partaking in his brother's funeral seems like he's apart from the family as they're laying him to uh to to rest in the family's estate or maybe like the divisiveness of his parents started there well also like it it seems like from the beginning he was blamed for not doing enough to prevent this death right and we also we're going to find this later out explicitly but uh there's also some interesting things like it looks like he has this amazing array of beer cans on the and some of them are open and some like i, I like seemed like they were all closed cans to me like unopened no there collection. was I, 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 I paid attention like every fifth or sixth one had the top popped off and had been drank or it had been opened um but he turns around and he sees what you are going to understand is adam's middle middle way mm-hmm 
um, you know, famous middle way religious work that he's going to take credit for. Um, and then later on, we see John Paul III confessing to Guterres to being just the worst. Uh, he talks about being weak and vain. And the and, greatest sin of all being an undistinguished thespian. An undistinguished <laughs> thespian, a drug addict. And Guterres protests that, you know, but your third way is a masterpiece. And he says, tis true. Which, the middle way? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which uh, I, I love. Only John Malkovich can get away with just lazily throwing off a tis true. Um, but I didn't write it. My brother Adam did. And I took credit for it which shocks Guterres. But then Guterres comes back with like, I think this is the third beautiful speech he's had this season about God's salvation. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, I want to talk here about like the contradiction between God and God's relationship with his believers and the believers relationship with him. Uh, but before I do, do you have any comments on, on, on this? Cause I, I'm going to, it's, I'm, I'm going to go deep in the mosaic myth. Um, no, I really don't. It seems like it kind of stands on its own or I read it at face value. I did kind of note that I think that Gutierrez has the resolve of a man who said no to the mini fridge in the last episode or the one before, Oh, you know, when he was faced with the opportunity yeah. to drink. Yeah. He's still, still, um, you know, maybe white knuckling it, but he's maintaining his strength there. Uh, so this is the standard Christian apologetics for like, you know, why is the world a bad place, even though God loves us? And, you know, the 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 fairly steel man argument for that is, well, God is not a micromanager and God, uh, it has to be this way for God to give us our, our freedom um, uh, to give us like because because uh, otherwise we would just be arguably automatons. You know, if we just always did the perfect thing and did all the right things and God kind of like kept us from, you know, um, uh, getting into trouble, as it were. Um, but all what God does do is when we get in trouble is he saves us. Uh, there's literally like, you know, salvation that's as anyone that puts faith in him can get it. And you get no matter how shitty your life is, as long as you maintain that that faith with him, that you'll have your eternal reward. And he says, he, God saves us with a kiss, just like with Moses. And I actually, per my ears perked up at this because unlike the vast majority of Christians, I've read the Bible several times and i'm like i know how moses died and god did not kiss him to death so what is going on here so i did some research and apparently this goes back uh to deuteronomy 32 old deuteronomy, old deuteronomy uh chapter 32 verse 5 uh and moses the lord the servant of the lord died there in moab as the lord had said and i i have to give some context to this so this all makes sense um and, you know, I don't care if you want to treat all this as myth, if you want to treat it as history. Uh, I tend to treat it like a lot of scholars do, and it's probably a tightly interwoven blend of both, you know, opinion and myth and a little bit of history, and it gets repeated over time. Um, but Moses had led, you know, famously the Israelites out of Egypt and through their wanderings in the desert for 40 years. And he died while they were on the cusp of reentering their promised land, their, their old homeland of Canaan. Uh, and they were wandering the desert as a punishment because 40 years hence, the Israelites balked at entering Canaan uh, because uh, people had moved there since the Israelites had moved to Egypt during a famine, uh, which if you've seen Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you're all up on that story. Uh, but they were subsequently enslaved there for many, many generations. Um, and so the Lord delivered 
his people out of Egypt with uh, with the help of Moses' hand and led them promptly to, to Canaan. But when they went back there, they saw all these people who had moved in in hundreds of years hence. And the Israelites uh, and, and the, the Bible makes it clear that this land is very good. So people would move in there. It's flowing with milk and honey, veritably. So the Israelites sent spies there and they returned to the reports with both the good things like, oh, man, look at the, the land gives so much fruits and vegetables and uh, it's flowing with milk and honey. But also there's these fearsome people that live there now. Um, and the Israelites grew afraid because they didn't want to fight them. And God said, damn it. Didn't I just humiliate this world power of Egypt and broke to Pharaoh's power? And now you're afraid of a few kind of swole shepherds dwelling in your land. You know what? Go wander the desert and think about what you did for a while. In fact, you know what? Wander the desert for 40 years until most of you people that were afraid are going to die off. And maybe I'll think about letting your children take the land. And that's what they did. For 40 years, Moses just led them around in the desert in this whole just giant holding pattern. Um, and the Israelites constantly complained about things. Uh, the Israelites made a hobby of complaining about life in the desert. It's like, oh, there's no food. So God's like, fine, I'll give you food from heaven. It's manna. Uh, oh, we're sick of this manna. We want meat. All right, I'm going to whip up a divine flock of birds. I hope you eat so much meat it comes out of your nose. Oh, my God, there's poisonous snakes out here in the desert. We're getting bitten. We're died. <laughs> All right, I'm going to make this copper serpent. Moses sticking on a stick. Anyone gets bit by a goddamn serpent, look at this copper snake, and you'll get instantly healed. And it just goes on and on. So 40 years of this, God's annoyed. Moses is annoyed. Uh, and the Israelites' latest complaint, again, just days before they were supposed to go into the land of Canaan, was, we're out of water. There's no water to drink. Oh, my God, you brought us out of Egypt here to die of thirst in the desert. And Moses says, you know what? And he takes a staff, he smacks this rock, and water gushes forth like a torrent. And he's like, you people are the fucking worst. I've never seen a bunch of belly acres like you. I guess me and my brother have to once again cater to your whims. And then God says... You said what now? What's what's this me and my brother stuff? I You didn't do shit. I'm the one that brought the water out of the rock, and you didn't give me enough credit there, Moses. And Moses is like, oh, you're right, Lord. I'm re very sorry for speaking out of term. And God's like, well, that's fine. But as punishment for this transgression, you don't get to go to the promised land. Uh-oh. Uh, Moses was anguished by this because this is something he's been looking forward to for 40-some years. Mm -hmm. uh, and he begged the Lord to relent, and the Lord wouldn't budge. But finally, he's like, well, you know, I guess you've been serving me faithfully your whole life. You, whole, you, you were a prince of Egypt, and you stuck up for my people, and you got banished, and then you came back, and there's the whole plagues thing, and you've been serving me faithfully as in, in leading my people and shepherding through this desert. So here's, here's the deal. Climb up to this really tall mountain, and there's this particular vantage place where you can see the entire promised land from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Ocean. And that's that's your reward for uh, doing all this work for me. And uh, this glimpse is your reward, which brings us to Deuteronomy 34, 5. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. And apparently in the original Hebrew, the meaning of this verse is more like Moses died in Moab by the mouth of the Lord. And some Jewish and apparently Catholic traditions, they conceive this as you know, instead of being like the word or command of God, this the mouth of the Lord is like a tender kiss that he he, he gave to Moses. And then traditions build on that, and there's this whole uh, apocrypha about Moses being assumed into heaven 
uh, which means you're getting you're, you're taken into heaven body and soul. This process is called assumption. Um, the Catholic teaching says that like Mary was assumed into heaven, Jesus was assumed into heaven, uh, just a couple other people like uh, Enoch. Um, and the relevant the relevant part of the story is that the Pope who first ac- proclaimed back and I think in the 50s, uh, the uh, th- assumption of Mary as official church doctrine. Uh, he got on the, the 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 chair and he spoke from his authority and said, "This is fact." Was Pius the twelfth? Mm. And I think that is relevant to what's going to happen to Eric. Like what we under what what we're supposed to understand what happens to Eric. That I'm I think that uh, Eric is going to be as as assumed. He's got assumpted. I'm not sure how you conjugate that verb. It's the assumption, so you assumed he's assumed into heaven. Assumed into heaven. Yeah. I think so. Because, you know, Lenny, of course, is Pius thirteenth. So anyway. That but, is fascinating. But the scene that's the thing, it's like what Guterres is this beautiful speech about God's forgiveness, and he, t- he 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 tops it off with the kiss of God, but like a way to look at that is also God is a real peevish dick. <laughs> you know, he rewards a lifetime of faithful service with yeah. Uh, well, you're not going to get the thing you want, but I'll let you glimpse it. Um, and there's a couple yeah. other patterns like that with Moses. Like Moses wanted to see God like face to face and God's like, hey, man, you can't handle it. But he relented to allow him to see a mere glimpse of his glory and it almost killed Moses. But there's this I, I, I just think it's interesting that, that he gives this very moving speech about God and his love and his forgiveness. But it all comes down to still God's inscrutable. You can't understand what him and his motivations are. Which right. is the beautiful and mysterious part of it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, thanks Which I, I thanks for all, my sermon on Moses or all of for that, listening to it. All of that is in Paolo Sorrentino's mind. I'd love to know what his upbringing was. Was it strictly Catholic? So he's got all this in mind? I think mind? I read it up that he was he's pretty like, raised Catholic, like I, mean, I imagine a lot of people in Italy are. Yeah, I just, it's, it, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of closes out our Vatican business. Uh, let's talk about the red headed, the red hooded rather idolaters. Okay. Um, uh, so you were correct. Esther joined them at the end of last episode mm-hmm. and Esther and the red hoodie lady who I, I do want to know more about, like, I'll, I'll be fine if I never do, but I would love to know what drives her d- strong devotion yeah like why did she i wonder because i man i i gotta go back and watch season one because i wonder if she was part a prominent person in the crowd at some of lenny's uh, sermons that's what i was thinking and i also don't want to forget that she whispered something to jp3 and it didn't mean nothing yes i know that for a fact that's true maybe she whispered the the nature of what hell is (laughs) or that lenny was definitely coming back yeah something like that i don't know but But, you know there's no way she would say that with such conviction and now believe he's dead yeah but we see that they're shutting down the breathing operation uh because it stopped for some reason the sighing stopped uh we know why um but they're keeping this under uh the one thing we we forgot to mention is uh bauer was contacted Right after Lenny awoke, and, and we don't know who he's talking to, but he says, keep this just to the nurse or the yep. nun and to the doctor. Nobody knows besides me, the nun, the doctor, and whoever made the phone call. Who made the phone call? Because the thing is, is I always thought that... Did Lenny himself? That idea <laughs> entered my mind at some point. Because uh, I always <laughs> thought that Bauer 
was Voyello's man. Like when uh, um, the one, the, the new secretary of state or the director of creativity, uh, God, I forget his name. Spalletta. Spalletta. When Spalletta said, you know, everyone's afraid of Voyello, but no one knows why. I thought, you know, this, this Jack Bauer character is the reason why. He's the guy that's got the needles and the syringes and no. can do the dirty I deeds. I mean, I, I had this idea in the back of my mind from the very beginning, not even mm-hmm. the back of my mind. I said it as much in our podcast that he's working for someone else. But we don't know who. I mean, but he, we know he personally reports to Voyello, or Voyello personally reports to him, maybe. But yeah, who is the person who made this call? I think that will be important. And I don't, because I don't think it's Asinte. I don't think it's. But I mean, it could be anyone. It could be. Could be it Cabe- could be. It, it has to be someone in the va- like not could even be the a Vatican. janitor in the. <sighs> it has to be someone at the hospital in Venice. It can't be someone at the Vatican, right. unless like unless the doctor calls. It can't be the doctor because he wouldn't refer to him in a third person. The doctor, the doctor the calls nun. someone to Vatican and a Vatican calls someone or calls Bauer. Then now we've got like five, six people. And like, <laughs> I don't know. How do you buy those people's secrecy? Uh, but but we'll Open see. question. But they're, they're shutting down his breathing operation and the Red Hood cult and Esther Opine. It's because they've killed the now Saint Lenny. She uh, feels it. Yeah. And uh, the, the Red Hood and Esther are very simpatico in this. And the red hooded lady says, uh, let's go <laughs> because uh, they've killed him because an Esther stands up and says she can feel it, which I wonder if they're setting them these idolaters up to deny. I don't know, because like when so now they believe that Lenny died and was resurrected. That is that's pretty exclusive territory um that's like in the territory of like jesus christ mary you know uh there's very there's very few class of people who who come back from the dead uh lazarus i suppose um so he'd he'd be a living saint but also could they see this as some kind of like trick or apostasy or something I, i don't know but he definitely has right i mean if we want to be really technical about it, a person who's had their heart taken out and replaced has experienced death. That's true. Several times. Yeah. Uh, at least three times. He knows what heaven looks like. Either that's because God has told him or he's been he's there seen to it see during it. These, these trips back and forth. Uh, right. To and fro. So they're right and wrong at the same time. Yeah. So they, she suggests that we need to go and purify ourselves. And she says, if you believe me, follow me. And I don't know, about half, maybe a little bit less do. Uh, Esther's the first one. She doesn't hesitate. She takes her and her child. Although I wonder where the child's at because she, he, he wasn't uh, at the beach. Uh, but all the hooded idolaters, they are now no longer hooded. They're completely buck naked. Uh, all these different ages and sexes and states of bodies are standing on the shores of Venice in January. In January. I looked it up. Average high in January, Venice, 45, low of 32, just above Jeez freezing. Jeez Louise. That Mediterranean is going to be ice fucking cold. And every to a man and woman, nipples are rock hard in this scene. Like, this didn't seem like a comfortable scene to film at all. No. Uh, and they all silently head into the water. What do you think is happening here? Uh, they are purifying themselves and unto death. I kind of, I mean, I, it's not without the realm of possibilities that they are killing themselves. I mean, the music, it's kind of like, uh, our Pope is dead. So we are sacrificing ourselves as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a possibility. I don't think as a Catholic that you would do that because then you aren't getting into heaven. Well, it's it's a suit like would you call like uh walking out into the ocean 
in the middle of winter is that actually suicide like i i don't know yeah yeah i'm pretty sure god knows your intent when you do it but what if their intent isn't to like you know their intent is to you know meditate i don't, I don't know like i, I, I mean, what do you think is happening I think they're just I think they're uh, they're plunging themselves into River Jordan, so to speak. They are doing what they're saying. They are they are cleansing themselves They're rebaptizing themselves or rededicating themselves to I a mean, cause. Yeah, you're much more informed but, about these biblical references uh, than I am. But so. I will say that the way it's filmed at like dawn uh, with a very mournful music, Somber, yeah. it you could read it both ways. And we'll we'll have we'll I'm, I'm interested to see like what they do with this as as we uh, get into the meat haven't even gotten to the meat of the episode which is lenny slash uh saint pius the 13th um so lenny so i love lenny he's an amazing character and i i forgot how dickish and peevish he can be yeah but he's also he vacillates between you know like uh he wakes up and he smiles and he he says to god you called me and I came back. Yeah, he gets up, immediately drops to his knees to pray. And it's very playful, but then he drops his voice like an octave and says, now tell me why. <laughs> uh, and he's like, uh, he finds out he's been out for a year. And he's like, well, then I certainly deserve a diet Coke Zero. Cherry Coke Zero. And he talks to Sister Pamela, who <laughs> uh, talks about her devotional um watch over the pope but she leaves out a couple important details how how she was praying no i don't think so she's no. definitely watching him and praying well and and <laughs> i think lenny probably knows the truth of the matter and uh uh he she refers to him as a holy pa uh, father and he kind of like dons him he's like oh right All right i'm the pope <laughs> uh which is interesting and he talks about um the next thing we see that he's in with this, the doctor and the Madonna, because apparently that's where Bauer wanted them to be, uh, uh, you know, shunted off to. So now five people do know Bauer, the mysterious caller, the nun, the doctor Madonna. and the Madonna and Eric and Eric. <laughs> uh, but he's not going to tell nobody. Uh, and he's talking about, you know, can't wait and wear his vestments again. Um, they talk about what's wrong with his wife and the doctor kind of explains, you know, the situation where, uh, actually he doesn't explain it. Lenny intuits that they got pregnant and the doctors warned them that there was some problems here and they followed, uh, the word of God and they followed life. And she gave birth to this profoundly ill child, uh, who has almost everything wrong physically uh and cognitively he's never opened his eyes he's never spoken a word he doesn't is not able to move um it's actually somewhat unrealistic that the child has lived this long with like there's no feeding tubes right there's no breathing machines like he just lays in bed uh he's being kept alive by his mother's will alone yeah but then again this is all you know sorrentino doesn't really give a shit about realism he's trying to tell like an emotional religious truth here right that's that's fine i mean when we watch game of thrones we don't have to say just so you know i don't believe in dragons yeah 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 <laughs> um, i think some people like when it's set in the present day like they get hung up on that like and yeah. i do too to some extent like what bugs are real? What bugs are metaphor? What bugs, you know, like there's this whole like, oh, what did it mean when the church, when the uh, nun saw the cockroach on Lenny's hand? Those are stigmata. I don't think that meant any of those things. Um, it's just something that he's doing. Maybe maybe we'll understand later. But uh, so he she she he befriends the wife and, you know, they bond over smoking 
the doctor has have a real crisis of, of faith here because he's being confronted with a genuine miracle the whole time Lenny's denying his his miracle uh, we see him like uh, in a cruciform pose on his bed angrily talking to God that I did not ask for this because <laughs> he sees the wife starting to put the Madonna starting to put pressure on him to perform a miracle. You know, she's heard the Esther on the radio. She knows what he's capable of. She's heard the story of how he cured one of his friend's mothers of some terrible disease. Yeah. Uh, why, I mean, why can't you do it now? They're going to keep the secret of housing him here. Then he has a moral obligation. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, it's for, for people like us who have difficult relationships with our mother. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to really put myself in the position of, and also a woman who hasn't given birth before to put myself in the position of believing that a mother's love is so incredibly powerful mm-hmm. that it can be so it can be so madonna like Mm -hmm. you know uh it's just so pure and driven and so full of this this unconditional love that that keeps her in this place of agony as i say it's a beautiful thing but it's also a very destructive thing too. right the two lives are being lost in the preservation of this three you could argue. Yeah, because it's not like, you know, Eric is not living in any kind of traditional sense that we would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, the mother has her son and the father has his wife that they're all grieving each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's the talk of him being a saint, uh, you know, because he says, I'm not, I'm just a man, I'm just a pope. And she's like, no, you're not, not anymore. Because they're getting, they're both being re- kind of dicks uh, at this point. Uh, and she catches him up on the recent papal history and s- asserts that he's a saint and he's a Christ and the Messiah. <laughs> and he says, I'm not a Messiah. If anything, I'm the Antichrist. And I'm like more like anti-pope. Am I right? <laughs> um, so the whole time the doctor is asking him if, you know, he's ready to, you know, come have his coming out party to Rome, which is weird because like, um, I don't know. I guess that from the doctor's standpoint, like Bauer can say what he wants, but he's living, he's, he's got a living his he's he's got a miracle on his hands and he does seem to be very devoted to god uh and i don't think bauer is going to be able to keep linny under wraps if it's up to the doctor either god or he's really really earning those fat sacks of money being the best cardiologist in the world yeah <laughs> this guy is like and I get it. Like, I guess nobody lives in Venice anymore. Right. It's, so it's a cursed house. And... Nobody would have bought it. I'm sure that you got it for a steal. But still, this is a fucking mansion. Like, old money. He's got a ballroom in it. Mansion. Yeah. And I get it. You're like the best cardiologist in the world. But like, this guy's got to come for some like Sir John type money. Right. Uh, your father and your father's father and your father's father's father had to be cardiologist. And all this stuff. Yeah. So uh, the doctor apologized for his wife for being so uh, affront, and uh, he said, uh, I want to meet your son. I'm not ready to go to Rome yet. And Lenny, and his first attempt to do something, just whispers intensely into Eric's ear. And Eric apparently hears and understands this, and a single tear of like joy falls from his eyes. And the Madonna then just looks right, like she comes and sees this and just looks right through us, through the camera. Yeah. Uh, and then he explains, Lenny, that uh, uh, what he said to Eric was he described heaven in perfect detail to him. And he also says, you and the doctor are going to go out and you're going to leave Eric with me. 
And they do. They go out on a date, uh, but it's winter in Venice, and apparently literally nothing is open. Everything's closed. Uh, but they talk about the old days and, you know, uh, how they met and what they thought of each other. How they decided to get married. and Yeah. And she walks for him again. Yeah, and he sees her just like as, as she was, and it's a really beautiful moment. So I believe that this, you know, him telling her to trade to trade the bathrobe for an evening dress and reminding her that her husband is, is afraid of losing her mm-hmm. uh as well and i think that this is his this is him showing them the way of following the love in this moment you know he's he's having them reconnect and rediscover each other so that they can find comfort in each other and move on from from eric passing yeah. on yeah or you know I thought it was a real kind of riddle speech because it there's that to it, but like they don't exactly say that. You know, the literal words they're saying about like, uh, you know, man, you know, if you start wearing a dress like that, then you might do this, and the man might kill himself. And like, wow. And I mean, it it became clear to me after at the end of the episode that he he was speaking this riddle speech, but it just felt I mean, mm. clear to me in my interpretation, not that's how it is on the screen yeah and also like lenny plays this like uh you know he's an intuitive man um Mm -hmm. maybe he's got some foresight maybe he's got some divine guidance but it seems like what his actions are perfectly calibrated to get the result that he wants at the end although i don't know if that tracks because i don't think he wanted eric to die here but we also see like as as a reprise from what we saw him do last year with esther or last season with esther where he gets on his knees and he does this intercessory prayer where he's like you know lord time for you and i to talk about eric make him a man and he demands him to make a man but it doesn't it doesn't work right and also uh, there was another part here where the doctor says or confesses to lenny that he's afraid that she's one more day away from losing her sanity right so them going out to she does reconnect like, with each yeah, other is yeah. a way to preserve her sanity too because yeah. can you imagine her at, the, at her breaking point and then her son dies mm-hmm. that would push you over yeah in certain instances um, if you didn't have the pope staying with you <laughs> and he comes back and you think that like oh man maybe uh, eric's gonna be sitting up in bed and he's gonna be fine but he says i do not perform miracles i just find myself at the center of coincidences and i, I wonder if he even believes that I mean, I think that's the way that God's love is supposed to work in this mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. That if you were to be so, if you were to be so confident and arrogant to think that you could just perform a miracle whenever you wanted to, mm-hmm. or that God loved you and you didn't have to work for it, that would be your undoing. I think that that doubt and always trying to pray harder right. is what makes him successful. Well, it's weird. It's because it's like almost like the extreme opposite of what Moses sin that he committed with bringing forth the water for the Israelites. Whereas Moses sin was striking the rock and saying, look what you made me do. <laughs> Lenny's like strikes the rock and be like, I didn't strike, strike the rock. I didn't say God. I don't know. It just you know, happened. I happened to be here with my staff and it hit the rock and now there's water coming out. I don't know. This keeps happening to me. I don't know. It's like, it's a weird div- denying of the divinity of an act both ways. One just says it's all on you, and one says it's just an accident. Um, I don't, but again, there and again, you know, Lenny does and says things because uh, he has, you know, like 
we we wonder about like you know what did the red-headed woman whisper in john paul the third's ear what did lenny whisper in the eric's ear what is god whispering in lenny's ear we don't we're not privy to the other side of these intense conversations that he's he's having um right and it seems yeah i mean he's very much in self-doubt like he's he's saying that i can't perform miracles i can't fix your son i'm not going to do it but he still tries extra hard as the, despite himself yeah uh, so then, uh, the Eric is not healed, but the Madonna still gives Eric a bath and it's identical, of course, to the Pieta, uh, statue, which is, is indeed damaged and fractured as, as this family itself is. Um, and then Lenny goes in for round two with God and this is where he goes all in. And I, there's a stuff he says, he goes, life is life. And I know I'm going where you'd rather I didn't. And I don't know exactly what that means, but then he goes into it. And I don't know why this is as emotionally powerful and moving as it is, but he just starts demanding of the Lord, make him a man, make him a man, Lord, make him a man now. Uh, no, I told you, do it now. Yeah, and he's just, he's sitting there. Uh, and then there's lots of, lots of examples of people doing this in the Bible. Uh, I know there was a, there's, uh, you know, a lot like, bartered with God over how many holy men could be in his city be- and, and God not destroy it because God's like hey, I'm going to destroy your hometown and Lot's like oh geez Lord <laughs> what if there's like a hundred faithful people in here and God's like alright I won't do it okay God okay 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 what if there's like just like 10 of us and are you God, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah yeah okay and God's like uh, okay fine if there's if there's 10 of you and like I think Lot pleads down to like 5 or 2 just but his family, right? There's not it's just his family. So God destroys the city. And there's also another prophet that's like, um, okay, you're talking to me, but maybe I'm just crazy. So like, uh, perform this miracle for me, uh, which I think was like, I'm gonna leave out, um, I'm, I'm gonna leave out a a fleece, and I want it to be soaking wet with dew, like have five gallons of water in the morning. And God does it, and then he's like, he's like, okay, okay, well. It is due. Maybe that could just happen. So God, please don't get mad. But now I'm going to leave the same thing out and I want it to be bone dry in the morning. And it's like bone dry. Um, but like he's 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 challenging God and he's in doing this in a very deliberate way. And and oh, and then you see Eric raising his hand. And you're like, holy shit, what is going on here? Uh, but instead, it seems Eric dies. God is not going to make him a man, but he's going to free his parents but it's, and, and maybe do something equally miraculous. Right. He gave, he recognized his effort, all of their efforts, gave them the miracle that they needed, not the one they wanted. I feel like he gave that family the peace they needed to move on. He recognized their devotion over the last 11 years and her not terminating this dangerous pregnancy. Yeah. It, yeah, it's very powerful. I gasped. I did the whole home alone. I slapped in my face. <gasps> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's wild. And then he says, "Okay, now it's it's I'm. This was the thing that I was sent here to do. And the time's come to return home. Uh, call Gutierrez, uh, t- and then meet me in the ballroom because I want to show you a miracle." And he holds their hands and they close their eyes, and you see a vision of I think you're supposed to understand Eric ascending to heaven. Uh, maybe even yeah. like I said, implying that he's assumed like this is like one of those miraculous things where he's taken body and soul into heaven, which would be I don't know if this like a lot of Lenny's miracles are ambiguous, you know, because there's a lot as, as I've, I've um, seen people speculate last year about like, you know, did Lenny 
did he actually um, make Esther fertile or did he sleep with Esther? Uh, I know. I can tell it's it's offensive even a thought of it. But like (laughs) if if this kid is like um, it it turns out if he's assumed in heaven, there's no body. And like what would that mean? Like an earthly authority. uh, These parents have been grieving for 11 years and their child goes missing and there's no body like is that because you know at this miracle didn't work out very well for esther you know it, it, it cost her her husband uh her patron saint died like not everything that happens to lenny or th- that happens when lenny intercedes is, is wholly beneficent so i'm i'm curious to see if they do go this assumption route like this might get these 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 parents into even more trouble maybe um but uh, that's just that's just assuming my crazy theory about Pope Pius twelfth <laughs> and Pope Pius the thirteenth is correct and the assumption is correct and yeah and all that. But he shows them a miracle. Yeah. And they and I think the miracle is actually I don't know what the miracle is. Mm-hmm. The peace they find mm-hmm. when they hold hands and pray, you can see that all three of them are smiling in what mm-hmm. seems like genuine peaceful, not like happy, mm-hmm. but just peace mm-hmm. at peace types of smiles. Yeah. Which which makes me think that they're it might be happy ending for them and not like a get arrested for a missing child thing. <sighs> yeah, but again, we thought that uh, you know Esther having a, a baby was going to be miraculous, and then it you know still was. <laughs> and, and Lenny dropped the baby on the hospital bed, and her <laughs> then her husband left her, and she got kicked out of Rome, and she's been prostit- right. you know like I forgot they can go places like that. Yeah. So I don't know. And I also want to say, I haven't said anything about, because you know, the, the nature was outlined, the music. The Holy music, shit, this this, music. Uh, this Come and See by Lean Year is the perfect choice. And like, there's the perfect choice of music throughout this episode. Uh, this whole series has it, been great. It, oh my God. The soundtrack is amazing. And it's, it's, it's utterly perfect. And I love it. I love the show. Mm-hmm. I love the show. I love the show like I love The Leftovers because it makes me... It gives me that that spiritual connection to something that I don't normally feel, um, and I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. I, that's one of the things I think um, a secular folks need to think about is how to we we've largely abandoned our sense of purpose and spirituality and community to the religious folk, and I think that's a mistake. I don't know how. I don't have an answer for it, but I think that's something we need uh, our generation and moving forward needs to think about how we can. Um, how we can how we can satisfy those things that it seems that humanity needs or misses, especially the community aspect um, in, a, in a secular fashion. Uh, so that's it. Uh, Eric ascends to heaven and there's no dancing. Uh, it would be wildly inappropriate to have dancing. And instead, we're we're, we're treated to just the, the credits so we can meditate. Yeah. On what what we've just seen. Hell of an episode. Hell of an episode. So much fun to start off with. So much sexy. I'm so, so badass, and then so so moving and powerful and profound at the end. Yeah, I'm I'm prematurely mourning the fact that there's only two episodes left. Yep. And there's a possibility that that's all we'll ever get. But at this rate, I don't think I don't. I hope not. I will never. But it's need all, it. I'm also bummed out that it's going to be another four episodes for, or four years before yeah. we get more. I'll never need or want another ep- episode of these Pope series. Yeah. But if they, if they, if if Sorrentino comes back and has one that he thinks is worthy of release, I will absolutely watch I'm there. it. There, I'm fucking yeah. there. Uh, I didn't so, expect this season even come at all. Yeah. So uh, we're hoping that you'll be there for us next week, too, mm-hmm. when we uh, just uh, talk about the penultimate episode 
just two episodes left. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Thanks for watching. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Cecily. Bye.